Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. We celebrated Christmas, if you didn't know, and we had an amazing time together. We called our experience Wonder. Uh, we kicked off basically a conversation that we're going to continue today. We've got a couple of photos here. Um, it was a great time. Uh, I just loved our experiences together. You guys did amazing inviting. Uh, I was honestly nervous because Thursday night, our first experience like was packed to the gills, and I thought, great, Sunday's going to be miserable, right? Because this is the inner pastor talk that we have. But Sunday morning was amazing as well, so you guys did an incredible job inviting people in and uh, just celebrating the wonder of God with us. And that's what we celebrated then and really where we're picking things up today. It's that the miracle of Christmas, the miracle that we celebrated together and this thing that we carry with us uh, is this miracle that the wonder of the presence of God has actually filled and floods our world right here and right now. Uh, I don't know if you know this, we talked about it leading up to Christmas. There's this church calendar that basically helps Christians kind of pay attention to significant moments in Jesus' life. And so the season leading up to Christmas is called Advent, where we wait and we anticipate Jesus' arrival. Uh, Christmas, believe it or not, starts on December 25th. It doesn't end on December 25th, and it carries on all the way up until this Sunday. It's called Christmas Tide, if you want to get all liturgical. But that's when we celebrate Jesus' arrival with us. And then today is actually the beginning of a new church season called Epiphany where we celebrate this new world that we can live in, where God is with us. And and so it's such an incredible season just to be awake and aware to the reality that in whatever situation or circumstance you may be carrying, God is with you right here and right now. And yet the tension that we talked about at Christmas time and the tension that we're kind of honing in on in our lives, even at the start of a new year, is that it's difficult to hold on to that sense of wonder as we age, isn't it? Uh, It's difficult in our daily lives to really live awake and aware to the reality that God is alive and active in the world around us. And in fact, um, I feel like I've experienced this the older my daughter gets, uh, because she is out of the like crawling gooey baby stage, and now she's in the really fun imaginative play stage. She's five years old, and I can feel this tension sometimes in myself as we're playing together, and she's just like, the whole world's amazing, right? Because she's five, and that's how five-year-olds are. And, And she'll bring things up to me, and I'm just like, oh, I don't quite feel that anymore, right? Or, oh, I'm not quite there anymore. I'm a little more jaded or I'm a little more cynical. Uh, If you were with us on Christmas, I mentioned that we put up uh, Christmas lights in her room, which we called Twinkle Town, and it operated according to the magic of Twinkle Town, because when we walk in the room, we can say, by the magic of Twinkle Town, turn on. And then Alexa, I mean, Twinkle Town uh, uses its magic. It turns on, pulled it off. Okay, we made it through Christmas. I think it's all coming down today, so... It was good, but it was just a small example of her like wondrous perspective. Uh, She actually uh, had another moment that made me laugh the other day. Uh, Just about two or three months ago, maybe back when we could do this, we had some friends over for a bonfire and we were hanging out and talking and Wes, who actually runs sound here pretty often, uh, was talking about a trip he went on to Disney World. He was telling my daughter Eden that he met the real Darth Vader there and, and that he like almost joined the dark side and she was like, oh, what? Like the real Darth Vader. And so it was really funny in that moment just last week, it's like you've been sitting in her memory, I think, for the past two months. Like, where is that real Darth Vader at? But she just leans over to me at the dinner table, and she goes, Dada, you know what's really amazing? I was like, what's that? You didn't tell me. She goes, there's a real Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> and I was like, what? Are you serious? She goes, yeah, because Mr. West met the real Darth Vader. So that means there's a real Anakin. I'm like, 
right? Sorry for the 50-year-old spoiler alert if you didn't know, but uh, it's just little things like that all around me, right? Where she's just like, wow, and I'm like, oh man, I don't naturally go there anymore. Uh, because if you're like me, you've probably noticed like skepticism is just kind of in the water in the world around us. Th this posture of suspicion or doubt comes so naturally to most of us. I, I saw this play out, uh, if you've been paying attention, you probably did do. Uh, there was a big announcement for Kokomo, our neighboring city here, uh, that they're gonna get a Chick-fil-A, right? Our prayers have been answered after all these years. But you know what happened? That announcement was made and the comment section was like, I'll believe it when I see it, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, right. In fact, it went so far, and this is just kind of a dynamic in our world, uh, that there was a planning commission meeting this past week where people were talking about the logistics of how it's all going to work. And again, I'll believe it when I see it. There's some details that it's like, wow, is that going to work? But there were people in a surrounding neighborhood that came out in droves because they heard misinformation through Facebook, probably, uh, that they were going to do some certain things to their streets and move all the traffic basically through their neighborhood. And, and it did not matter, from what I read about the meeting, it didn't matter how much the actual commissioners were like, no, that's not in the plan. Because it was on Facebook, this group of people was so enraged. They're like, no, it's happening. And maybe it's not Chick-fil-A and it's not affecting your neighborhood, right? But we all have things like that that we've gotten drawn into. It's why if we look at news stories anymore, it's all fact-checked everywhere because there's so much fake news or misinformation or your truth versus my truth out there. And that's like one thing if we're talking about Chick-fil-A or even the news and even a presidential election and all that stuff that's also coming this year. But we also live in a world that I think is so suspicious of any kind of transcendent or spiritual experience, a any kind of transcendent or spiritual idea. In fact, there's a scholar named Charles Ta Taylor who's like, the premier studier of secularism, and he coined a term uh, to describe this posture that's skeptical of anything transcendent. And the, the term he coined is disenchantment. He, he essentially says that we now live in a disenchanted world. I, and the whole idea is that our world operates now uh, according to this principle that what you see is what you get in life, right? That, that life and the things that are true or the things that are real are the things that we can see and touch and measure. And that stands in sharp contrast to the way that people have lived and believed for, for generations. In fact, Charles Taylor and people like him who studied this, uh, they looked at this phenomenon that back in like the Middle Ages, everybody believed in God. Everybody believed in some type of spirituality. And yet, as history goes on, it seems like fewer and fewer of us live our lives according to that kind of direction or that kind of perspective. Uh, enchanted beliefs back in the ancient world, uh, there were two primary enchanted beliefs. The first is that God or spiritual beings lived among us, that this world was full of spirituality and mystery. And the second was that meaning is found in the cosmos. And, and what I mean by the cosmos is that there's like this kind of ordered, structured, meaning-filled dynamic to the entire world and the entire galaxy that we live within, that, that there's mystery to some of it, and, and that we have limited knowledge about it. And it's this contrast that exists. Back then, people believed we lived in a cosmos that was full of meaning and story and, and mystery and order. And, and many of us today instead believe we live in a universe, right? We know we live in a universe. It's a universe that we can measure, that we've even begun to explore, that we can now take photos of and learn about. And, and this universe, the conclusion that many of us have drawn is it's random, right? And it's ultimately explainable and ultimately meaningless. There's comedians who have built their entire career just talking about this existential dread that we're all trying to avoid, right? When you get stuck in traffic and you're not playing music and suddenly you have that feeling of like, oh no, what is this whole thing I'm doing, like living my life? Like, is there any point to it? Is there any purpose? And, and in a disenchanted world, that's all that there is. 
In fact, in a disenchanted world, you can have God. God can be there, but you should never expect God to actually interact with your everyday experience. It's where we get this posture that you can believe whatever you want, but don't expect it to actually matter in your day-in and day-out reality. You should trust science and technology to explain everything about the real world. We are immersed in a world that suggests that a material understanding of things is the grown-up understanding of things, that we need to get practical and reasonable, and all of that enchantment stuff maybe is for little kids, but serious grown-up people grow out of it. And often what that leads to is we miss out on or we minimize the spiritual aspects of our lives and the spiritual aspects of our world. And I want to be really clear today, today is not like anti-science day or we're not like turning off our brains for the next three weeks. In fact, I'm a big fan of science and all those things I was talking about, like it's amazing the things that we can measure and learn and know about our universe. Uh, in fact, Blaise Pascal, who was a very smart, scientifically, mathematically minded guy, uh, but also a Christian, said this one time that I think hits it right on the head. He says, if we submit everything to reason, our religion will be left with nothing mysterious or supernatural. That's that disenchantment idea that we're talking about. But if we offend the principles of reason, our religion will be absurd and ridiculous. There are two equally dangerous extremes to exclude reason and to admit nothing but reason. So we're not throwing technology out the window. We're not throwing science out the window. Big fan of flush toilets. We're still going to keep using those. Okay. But the point I hope that you see today is for many of us in our lives, as we're at a new year, as we're like looking at our habits and our rhythms, I think for many of us, we need to turn the dial back up on enchantment and on wonder and on our awareness that God is active and with us in our world right here and right now, and that it really does matter. That God is active in our world, but the truth is for many of us, we don't have eyes to see him. That God's with us, but we don't always notice it, that we don't always pay attention. And, and you could describe it in this way. I think for many of us, uh, when it comes to God and when it comes to spiritual things, we have this phenomenon happening that's known as attention blindness. And attention blindness is basically what happens when you are so focused on something that you miss the other things around you. It's like those horse blinders that you put on where you like just can focus on one thing and blur out everything else. And in fact, just to give you a little taste of what attention blindness can be like, uh, there was this video that was produced, uh, I believe by like the transportation organization in London uh, several years back. I think I saw it like a decade ago. But it's all about an awareness test. So you can see just like how this phenomenon plays out in our lives. So check out this video. We'll do this experiment together. Isn't that powerful? Right? Be honest. How many of you got it the first time? Yeah, like a couple of you guys are advanced. Way to go. Yeah, I, I promise if you go back and watch the first round, it really is there, okay? But I've seen this thing like five times, and unless I stop counting, I have to like, where's the bear? A and then I catch it. But that's what attention blindness can be like. It's easy to miss what you're not looking for, right? And, and this dynamic is, I think, what's at play in so many of our lights as it, as it relates to spirituality and as it relates to our connection with God. It's easy for us to miss what we're not looking for, and it's a big deal as it relates to our faith because the truth about faith is that an active and a growing faith flows from our attention. That, that an active and a growing faith actually flows from where we point our hearts and our eyes and our minds, where we focus our attention drives where our faith is actually found. And this dynamic, uh, it reminds me of this account in the Apostle Paul's life that happened in the city of Athens. So Paul was a guy who had his life radically changed by Jesus, and then he started planting churches all throughout the Mediterranean rim, and eventually it led him to Athens, and he shows up, uh, in the Areopagus, as it's called. I'm not great with Greek, but he shows up, and uh, there's these, like, 
idols and temples because the people of Athens were really religious and he walks right into the epicenter of activity there and he goes up and here's what the text says in Acts. It says, Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship and that's what I'm gonna proclaim to you. This is like one of the coolest things Paul does. So he walks in to this very religious culture, right? He walks in, there's temples here, there's temples there, there's space for Apollo and, and for Venus and for Mars and like it's, it's everywhere. And then he sees this altar to the unknown God and like a good missionary, he leverages the culture that he's in and he goes, you know what? I'm gonna tell you about him. I'm gonna tell you about this unknown God. And, and he goes on and he just goes on this amazing enchantment-filled rant about who God is. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Isn't that amazing? Like, don't you just kind of feel some of the enchantment and the story and the picture that Paul is painting about who God is? He, he says, listen, listen, you guys are worshiping, right? You've got temples here, you've got idols there, you have so much faith, but the thing you've actually been looking for has been right here all along. In this case, for the Athenians, God was the moonwalking gorilla. <laughs> he was right there in their midst the whole time. And it took somebody like Paul to show up and say, hey, pay attention to this. Right? There's all these other stories out there, but this is the true story that you're invited into. He was right there in their midst, but they were fixing their attention elsewhere. And listen, in our day, uh, we don't build very many temples, and hopefully you don't have like a hidden altar in your closet or anything like that. If you do, tell somebody, maybe. But uh, what many of us still do is we do fix our attention on things. We fix our attention on things that distract us. Right? I mean, how many of us is our little temple or our little altar right here in our pocket all the time? And by the blue glow of its screen, we find affirmation. We find meaning. At the very least, we find entertainment, right? We log so many hours pursuing the approval of people we may not even like. Uh, this is why, at least if you grew up kind of like in my generation or younger, you've probably spent some time on social media where you would like take a picture of yourself, like your little burnt offering to your God is your perfect selfie. And your, your active affirmation or approval from your God is when you log on and you see, hey, did they like it? In fact, when I was... Uh, in high school, and actually a little after I was in high school, students that I led in student ministry, I found out that on Instagram, back in the day, the way the design worked, uh, it used to list everybody's name who liked your post unless you hit 11 likes. And, and then if you hit 11 likes, it turned into a number and on and on it went. There were students who would delete their post if they didn't hit 11 likes because it was embarrassing that they didn't have that much affirmation sent back to them. There's these little acts of worship that we do to our little gods, right? Our little acts of worship. And maybe for you, it's not social media or a digital offering. It's not your appearance. But maybe if you're honest, you put a lot of time and you put a lot of attention and a lot of effort into your status, into being perceived as successful. Even good things like doing a good job or, or making money, they can become ultimate things if we, if we focus on them too much, if they take too much of our attention. And what's New Year's? And this can be a breeding ground for this kind of, if you want to use a big churchy word, idol worship 
in our life, this kind of distraction that shows up in our lives. I mean, it's a great time of the year, but it is a time of the year that we are hit by so many self-help-oriented messages. It's why the gym is going to be full this next week, right? And that's not a bad thing, but it is a thing that happens every single year. It's why there's all kinds of new diets happening, and uh, it's why, like, I have a bunch of friends who do CrossFit, and uh, if you know people who do CrossFit, you know that they do CrossFit, right? Because they tell you all about it. And they're like, it's the best thing ever, and it's amazing. And I think it is amazing. Like, I've seen it do great things in a lot of people's lives and in their health. But it's like, it almost feels like a little temple, right? It feels like a little tribe where it's like, if you're not in CrossFit, you're doing it wrong, and you've got to be a part of it. And, and they're always inviting more and more people in. And, and none of that's bad, okay? That, that's not all bad at all. But my point is, if we're not careful, there are so many things in life that can just become another empty distraction, that can become another thing that we try and control rather than turning our focus and our attention onto the God who loves us, who made us, and who's with us. So it's a new year, but rather than giving you another thing that you ought to do to be better in this new year, what I want to do is we're starting this conversation about reawakening to the wonder of God with us, is what if we were actually invited to pay attention to God more this year? Not to do more for God, but to just pay more attention to where he already is in our lives. What if instead of pursuing something new outside of us, or even inside ourselves. We woke up to the wonder of God all around us. To help us do that, with the rest of our time, this is a little different than normal, but we're gonna look at one passage that uh, actually, it's a famous passage, you've probably heard it before if you've been around church in any capacity, Uh, but we're gonna look at Psalm 23. And and Psalm 23, I'm gonna read it over you and then we're gonna kinda break it down and learn some practical ways that we can actually pay attention to God in this new year through it. But if you know Psalm 23, um, it's not usually read at New Year's. It's often read at funerals, and it's this message of comfort, but it's actually so much richer than that. Uh, Pastor and author Pete Scazzaro described this psalm uh, and said that it's about paying attention to God who is paying attention to us. Isn't that a beautiful idea? Paying attention to the God who's paying attention to us. And psalms, they're like poems. Uh, If you don't know like about scripture or anything like that. Uh, It's art. It's not meant to be read like the newspaper or a science book. It's meant to be something that you kind of take in, that that you let wash over you, that you meditate on. And uh, before we jump in and read it here, I'm going to give you the punchline early as well. At the end of our time together, I'm going to give you an assignment to actually practice over the next seven days uh, as we begin this new year and as we explore reawakening to wonder. I'm going to ask you for the next seven days to actually pay attention and every day to do some type of like centering prayer or silent meditation. And if you don't know how to do that, we're going to talk about a simple way that you can do so. But I'm going to ask you to take five minutes of silence out of your day the next seven days to pay attention to God. And and then either before that silence or after that silence to read through Psalm 23 and to just let it kind of wash over you. See what stands out for you in those moments. It might just be a couple of lines that stand out, things like we're going to read, like the Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing, or he prepares a table for me or he anoints my head, whatever it is, I'm going to invite you and I'm going to challenge you at the end of our time together to make that a habit for this next week, just five minutes, to actually spend that kind of time paying attention to God. But before we get there, uh, let me read this over you in its entirety. It's not super long, and then we'll break it down and learn some practical tools through it. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you're with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. 
Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So like I said, it's, it's a famous psalm many of us have heard before. It's a simple psalm or poem. Uh, and the way it starts out is this idea that the Lord is my shepherd, and I lack nothing. And then from there, the way that this is structured, it goes into like four different movements that tease out how we can pay attention to God. Uh, the first movement in verses two and three show us that if we want to pay attention to God, we have to hear his voice. Uh, the next movement shows up two verses after that, where he says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, that it's possible for us to experience the wonder of God, even if we're going through a difficult season. The third movement is we want to pay attention so we can receive God's love with us, that he prepares a table for us, and he wants to anoint our head with oil. And then the fourth movement is we want to pay attention so we can see God's beauty all around us that follows us day and night. So we're going to go through all four of those movements. We're going to take them apart, and we're going to talk at a practical level. What does it mean for us to actually pay attention to God in this kind of way? Like, how do we pay attention to God? The first thing is we have to learn how to hear his voice. We have to learn how to hear his voice. And I'm not necessarily saying, like, you're going to hear the big, booming, audible voice from heaven. If you do, let me know, because that sounds fascinating, and I'd love to unpack it with you. But it hasn't happened to me yet, okay? Uh, Rather, We're going to spend a little bit of time on this first movement more than the other three because I think it may be the most important for us. This psalm opens up, like I said, saying the Lord is my shepherd and and describing us essentially as sheep. And this image is all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And you know how like countries have animals that kind of identify them? Like Russia is a bear because they're like ferocious and scary. And and we've got the bald eagle because we're all like regal and stand up for us right and that stuff. Well, essentially God's people have a national animal, if you will, and it's the sheep. And if you don't know about sheep, sheep are dumb, okay? Like there has never been a sheep trainer, like there's dog trainers and horse trainers that can make animals do it. Sheep, sheep don't do that, okay? There's never been a sheep in the circus. Uh, sheep can't even find safe pasture on their own. They can't find the good water. They can't rest. Without guidance, sheep are basically done. Uh, they can't go on and they're lost. They are like the least self-sufficient animal that there is they like don't even know how to move. Like if sheep are out in a pasture and they eat all the grass on their own, they're just like, what now? Right, like what do we do? They they don't know that they have to go somewhere else. And, And here's how Psalm 23 opens. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. There's that phrase, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And I think the way that I've typically read this is kind of like, he forcibly gets me to stop, right? Like I, I had COVID a couple years back when we were all, it was going around. And, and that was one of those seasons where I, thankfully I had it very mild. So it was just like, I had that two weeks at my house where I was just like locked in a room by myself. And it's like, he made me lie down in the green pastures, right? <laughs> Otherwise I'm just gonna keep going. And it was like forced rest. And sometimes that's what I thought this looks like. But the truth is in the original language, this idea that the shepherd makes us lie down, it translates more accurately that he settles me down, right? Because sheep are just kind of anxious, clueless little beings, kind of like us, right? And and we just get all all worked up, and he says, no, no, the the shepherd comes, and he calms me down. He, He focuses me. He settles me down. He leads me to still waters, because sheep, they don't drink running water. If it's a stream, they're like, ah, too scary. So the shepherd has to actually lead them to still waters, He leads them to what they need. It it says he guides me along the right path because you know what else sheep do? Sheep wander. 
If sheep don't have a shepherd, they just like wander out and they all get lost, kind of like us, right? But the shepherd comes along and guides us. And in all of this, I think if we assess our sheepiness a little bit today, right, if we assess how we're doing with this, we can see that for many of us, we overestimate how much control we actually have over our lives. We overestimate how much is actually in our grasp, how much we actually understand, and how much we actually control. And that's the power of this psalm. In terms of us paying attention to God, it's a prayer and a confession of vulnerability and dependence, where we acknowledge we're like sheep. We're not in control of very much, and we can't do very much on our own apart from God. I was thinking about this dynamic and um, was reminded of a retreat I actually got the opportunity to go on last year in April. Um, I was gifted with this pastor's retreat, which was like a week down in Nashville, and it was the most incredible, like, just active generosity that I ever experienced. I didn't have to pay anything except driving down there. I got a gift card for food. This couple actually gifted me with tickets to go see a group at the Grand Ole Opry. Like, it was just so thoughtful and so incredible. Uh, but one of the highlights of that trip for me, I took this goofy picture uh, out <laughs> in a state park. It's like my one picture from the whole thing. So actually the organization that hosted this wanted me to help them promote the retreats. They're like, can you send me a picture you took? I'm like, that's what you got. Put it on the brochure, I guess. But anyway, I, I took this uh, out in a state park that was kind of near to the area I was staying in, and I didn't have an agenda. I didn't have a plan. I just started walking, and, and I noticed in myself, right, when I first started, it was like, okay, where do I go? Where's the path? Where am I? But as I started following the path, and as I got maybe a mile down the road or maybe two miles down the road, all of a sudden, it was like something shifted in me. Something shifted in me where suddenly I was kind of reflecting more. I was surrounded by the beauty of creation, right? It was a wonderful environment, but I started reflecting just more naturally. I started being more attentive to God and what he might actually be saying, and what I felt in that moment is I actually slowed down enough that I might hear God. I slowed down enough that I might get in that reflective space, and so I wonder for us, if we want to reawaken ourselves to an enchanted life with God, to, to wonder of God with us, maybe our first step into wonder is actually learning how to slow ourselves down enough to hear from God. That, that maybe our first step is to slow our pace to open us up, to let God actually lead us to those still waters, to settle us down, and to give us what we really need. So the first thing we can do if we want to reawaken to wonder is to actually hear his voice. The next thing we can observe in this prayer is that we can experience wonder even in hard times when we learn to trust God in darkness. This is the portion that's often read at funerals. It's why this passage is often read in mourning, where the psalmist goes on and says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And the truth is, unfortunately, we don't like to think about this, especially at the start of a new year, but life is full of setbacks and disappointments and tragedies and the unexpected, and, and, and there are things that we can't avoid in that. And there's a lot of things that we try and explain away in the midst of that, because again, we drift into that control and like, why did it happen? And how do I, what do I do now? And, and all those questions, and those are so natural for us to ask. But what the psalmist is getting at here in these moments is that even though we go through those things in life, e even if you find yourself in a difficult season or circumstance right now, it doesn't mean that God is not with you in the midst of that. That you can still experience the wonder of God with you, even in the midst of the most difficult moments. And the truth is, there are things that God grows in us. I don't think God causes the bad things that happen to us necessarily, but I do think he uses them. 
And, and as we go through these deep valleys and these difficult moments, there are things that come to us in the valley of the darkest shadow that nothing else can teach us, that we actually learn by going through difficulty and trusting God in the midst of it. And, and in fact, this imagery that shows up, he says, your rod and your staff comfort me. For a shepherd, the shepherd's rod was carried to keep wild animals away. That, that animals would come and they would try and attack the sheep and so they would use their rod to like scare them off. And I think the truth is, even when we go through difficult things, again, I don't think God causes them for this reason, but sometimes we go through disappointment and difficulty because God is sparing us from something. Like you don't know what may have happened if you actually got that job that you wanted so bad. Or, or you don't know where that relationship would have led you that it feels like is breaking your heart right now. Sometimes God is actually protecting us from things in the midst of our disappointment. But the other side of it is the shepherd's staff. And the shepherd's staff was actually what was used to straighten up the sheep, to pull them in and to keep them focused and on track. And, and if you've ever gone through something difficult, what you probably know as well as me is that the healthiest place we can get to in those moments of difficulty is that same space of vulnerability and surrender where we realize, God, I don't understand, I don't like it, I don't even know what to do with it, but you're in charge, not me, right? You're, you're in charge, not me. And, and so even in the valley of the shadow of death, even in the darkest moments, you can discover that God is with you there. The third mov movement in this prayer is the simple gift of receiving God's love. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. It's early in the year, okay, so I don't know if you have any enemies yet, like if the haters have come for you yet or not, but I think as I was reflecting on this, I think the truth is for many of us, our worst enemy sits at our table every day because it's the things we tell ourselves about ourselves. So often we're our worst enemy and, and we beat ourselves up and we disqualify ourselves and we think, how could God possibly love me or how could I possibly be used by God? And again, it, it shrinks us back. It shrinks us away from wonder and connection with God. God says, no, 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 I prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies, even if you're your enemy, right? I, I have love for you. I have a feast for you. I have favor for you. I have everything that I am to pour out onto you. And God says, no matter what, there's grace for you. And I love this definition or this picture of grace that Pastor Philip Yancey said once. He said, grace means that there's nothing we can do to make God love us more, and grace means there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. That, that wherever you're at right now, whatever this new year is or will bring you, there's nothing you can do to earn God's love anymore, and there's nothing you can do to disqualify yourself or, or have it any less. It, and the writer goes on and, and says in this posture that God anoints my head with oil. Think like a spa treatment, okay? It's like you, you pour this over me. You just like let me wash in it. That's what God does with his love for us. He's like, I just want to pour it on you again and again that I love you no matter what. I love you no matter what, and you matter to me. And then at the end, he says, my cup overflows, right? When we find ourselves willing to receive that gift, not to try and do more or be more and not to fall into the religious trap of just making it happen, but when we actually receive the love of God, our cup overflows, that he wants to pour out more than we could even possibly contain in our lives. And at the end, we're invited into a fourth movement, that helps us pay attention to God, that helps us reawaken to the wonder of God with us. And, and that's if we pay attention to the beauty around us. That when we pay attention to beauty, we actually can find ourselves invited into the wonder of God. Psalm 23 ends saying, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord 
forever. That word that we translate as goodness, it could just as easily be translated as beauty, that your beauty follows me wherever I go. Friends, the miracle of Christmas, the power of what Jesus did and what he's still doing in and through this world is that God's kingdom is here and now, that it's already happening, that God is and can be with us in the midst of all of it, but for us, we have to slow down enough to actually see it and receive it. We have to pay attention to actually experience the wonder of God in us and around us. We have to slow down enough to notice the beauty of life around you. Uh, there's a poem uh, that when I've known for a couple years that I wanted to do this series, and, and this poem like showed up on my social media feed, I think, and I thought, man, this isn't like a Christian poem, but I thought, man, this is so true, and I think such a healthy perspective for Christians to take, because for so many of us, we can be tempted, especially this time of year again, to get pulled in into the like do more and be more and be extraordinary and do incredible things for God, and like we're talking about wonder, it's like I got to get out there and I got to save all the children or whatever the thing is, but I think often the true wonder of life with God happens in ordinary, simple moments when we learn to be attentive to the life that we've been given. This poem uh, written by William Martin, it's from the perspective of what we should give our children. And he says this, Do not ask your children to strive for extraordinary lives. Such striving may be admirable, but it's the way of foolishness. Help them instead to find the wonder and the marvel of an ordinary life. Show them the joy of tasting tomatoes, apples and pears. Show them how to cry when pets and people die. Show them the infinite pleasure in the touch of a hand and make the ordinary come alive for them. The extraordinary will take care of itself. Now look, it's not a Christian thing, but I think that might be the very posture that our Heavenly Father would say to us as his children, right? Don't, I mean, it's great to want to do great things for God, but what if you just did things for a great God, (laughs) right? What if you just like, experience the ordinary and recognize the extraordinary is all in it because God is all in it. It's in him that we live and move and have our being. What if we make it a habit this year to pay attention to beauty around us and in so doing we reawaken to the wonder that God is with you right in the midst of whatever you're facing? What if your habit this year was less about doing and more about being? Okay, if you have New Year's resolutions, that's great. I like to set goals too. That's coming up for me this next week because again I'm like a week behind Uh, but you can have all those goals but what if like spiritually you added to the list not another thing for you to do but what if you chose to make a habit this new year of paying attention and in so doing I mean it's kind of like an anti-resolution right it's like I'm gonna slow down I'm gonna do I'm gonna slow down enough that I can actually hear God That, that when my circumstances tell me I should despair and that God's not here, I'm gonna know that he's with me even in the valley of the shadow of death, even in the darkest moment. And and I'm not gonna strive to earn God's love and I'm not gonna fear that I can mess it up because it's a gift that I receive and I'm gonna pay attention to that gift. And in so doing, I'm gonna pay attention to the beauty that's all around me in the ordinary things of this life. If we take that posture in this new year, I think doing so might be our first step in reawakening to the wonder of life with God and the wonder of God with you. I want to wrap up by reading one more poem. Again, not explicitly, at least by a Christian, but by a great poet and a spiritual thinker named Mary Oliver. And it's so simple. And I think it fits the bill again for what Jesus wants our lives to look like. She wrote in one stanza, stanza of one of her poems, instructions for living a life. Pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. It's pretty simple, isn't it? But I think that may be the invitation for us to reawaken to wonder. Pay attention to God. Pay attention to where he is at in your life and what he may be saying to you. 
be astonished by it, right? Like take in the wonder of his character and his presence with you and then tell everybody about it because it's available to all of us. So I told you we're wrapping up with some homework this week because we don't just want to talk about all this stuff and nod and agree. We actually want to like cultivate this connection with God in our lives. So my challenge for you as we wrap up is over the next seven days, okay, until we're back together, what if you prioritize taking five minutes at some point throughout your day to actually experience like silence and solitude? And some of you are like, nope, not going to do it, right? That sounds like the worst thing. I wish you would have asked me to give money. But what if, right? What if we really did this? What if we really carved out just five minutes, seven days this week to sit quietly and either before you do that or maybe after you do that, what if you read through Psalm 23 and you just see what God might say to you through it? You, you, you turn your attention to him. I think in so doing, we might waken ourselves up to wonder once again, to the enchanted world of life with God. And here's the deal. We're at like 35 minutes here, okay? So that's all I'm asking for you. And you can break it up across seven days. If you, if you did this, you can do that and you don't even have to listen to me talk. It's just five minutes of attention to God. And I have a feeling if we really do this, we'll be more aware of where God is at and what God's saying to us as we begin this year together. So let me pray for you as we wrap up. God, um, as so often around here, I feel like the topics we choose and the things we focus on in terms of life with you, they are so easy to agree with when we hear them explained and yet so difficult to practice. But I pray as we're looking at our lives, as together as a church community and for us as individuals, we want to be awake to the wonder of what you're up to in this world and how you want to use us. I pray that we would have the courage to slow down a little bit. That in a world that tells us it's all up to us, we would actually choose a posture of dependence on you. That we would recognize that we're a lot like sheep and that we need a shepherd. And God, I pray this week that we would really do this challenge. That we would take those five minutes that you would speak to us once again through Psalm 23 day after day after day for this week and that in so doing we would hear from you. We would awaken to what you want to do and what you want to say to us and God that we would look different as a result of our time and our attention spent on you. Help us to do so. Help us to turn our eyes and our attention to you. We ask all of that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.